Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, and I'll be teaching today. I'm going through the book of Revelation, and our text for today is Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. So let me read that for you. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to get your copy out and follow along with me as I read this. It's always better if you can follow along with the teacher. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. Let me read this. The Word of God says, beginning in verse 11, And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs so that he makes even fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. This is what we are calling today the false prophet. We're going to explain why he's called the false prophet in just a few minutes. But I want to uh, let you know at this point, for those of you who thought that the first beast in chapter 13, verse 1, coming up out of the sea, was bad news, well then watch out, you've got double trouble. This guy coming on the scene is just as bad if not worse. He is going to be known as the false prophet, and that is, according to the Word of God, he will be known as the false prophet. That's not uh, some commentator coming up with that name. It's actually the Word of God, and we'll share that with you in just a few minutes. But have you ever wondered why or how false prophets can be successful at all? I've often thought that as I've been attending churches or even in seminary listening uh, to people talking about other preachers or teachers that are out there and and what they teach and how they follow them. Uh, Just Some I have heard just amazing things at uh, some of the teachers that are out there supposedly teaching God's Word and encouraging uh, people from the Scriptures. And and you, you look at it and you see just how false it is. And you wonder, how do people even get a following like this? Well, the word is deception. It is a... Uh, a very powerful word, the word deception. It uh, obviously is referring to something that is uh, intended to deceive people, to make them think of one thing when it's really something else. That's a very simplistic way of saying this. Uh, but that is the success of false teachers. They depend on deception. They they live by deception. Remember now, Satan is always trying to confuse people by covering up the truth of the saving gospel, the truth of the word of God with lies that are masquerading as if they were truth. That's full deception right there. Satan has from the very beginning uh, attempted to barrage the world with demonic uh, doctrines coming from seducing spirits through false teachers and false prophets. And you know, it's, it's also amazing that there never seems to be a shortage of people willing to just fall right in line to work the work of Satan and his demons and to teach doctrines of devils. It's actually a very amazing thing to look at and to wonder how could this even be. But you know, as the world moves closer to the return of Christ and closer to the consummation of God's plan and closer to the coming of the kingdom that has been promised, you can be sure that Satan will escalate the efforts of false preachers, false prophets, Teachers all across this globe, the closer we get to the end, the more false teachers and false prophets 
there will be. In fact, I think this is one of the signs of the times. Did not Christ mention this in, in Matthew chapter 24? Uh, with these familiar words himself, as he spoke this, it says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. That means, in other words, that they will say they're Christ when they're not Christ, through deception, and people will follow that. And there's going to be a, so much activity going on on this planet that will be demonic activity that we've looked at, beginning in Revelation chapter 9 and then 10 and 11, and then even into 12 and now into 13, that the world is going to see all kinds of strange things and activities happening. But you can be certain that many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Mark chapter 13, verse 22, uh, Jesus said, False Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders, and in order, even possible, to lead the elect astray. That means those believers could be led astray. They are so powerful and so real. So at the very climax of, of all of this, this that we're studying, the end of time, uh, there's going to be a proliferation of demons that are released from the pit, from the Euphrates River that we've seen in Revelation chapter 9. Uh, there'll be more demons than ever running and roaming all over the earth. All of the ones who were in heaven have been cast out. We saw that in Revelation chapter 12. And the ones in the pit who are not eternally bound will be released. That's in Revelation 9. So all of this with more deceiving spirits will come more hypocritical, deceiving, false prophets and liars. And it will finally consummate in the ultimate final false prophet. That is coming, folks. This is a, a time coming upon this earth. It will be a very dangerous time. We've just read in uh, Revelation chapter 13 the description of the man, Satan's last and most powerfully, awesomely powerful, this deceiving, hypocritical liar. He's called a beast. He's called the first beast. A beast that comes out of the sea. And uh, those, ten first, those ten verses there describe a lot of his activity. He will be a blasphemer who makes war with the saints that we looked at last week. He will embody all the evil powers of the world empires all before him. He will exercise the power of Satan, the power of demons, and the power of men. He will be the greatest world ruler ever, dominating all of the earth. But he's not going to be alone. In fact, he has a partner in this massive satanic system of the final ultimate deception. And his partner is the false prophet that is spoken of in this chapter. The Antichrist is primarily a political or military figure, leader. The false prophet will be a religious leader, a figure. And here we have the political power joining with the religious power. The political power dominating the external world and the spiritual power dominating the internal world. It's going to be an under, under, unusual time. But it's not unusual for the Word of God. Because we've seen this pairing of uh, political and religious power in the past. And we'll look at that in just a few minutes. So the Antichrist not only has the devil and his, his demons, he will not only have accumulated powers of demons and human sovereignties, he not only has the control of the governments all over the globe, but he also has a potent companion who will promote his power and aids, aid him greatly by swaying the hearts 
of the people on this earth to follow him. But yet, you see, he's not interested really in following him. He wants worship. He wants there to be worship. His aid will be religious. It will be a spiritual thing. He will cause the world. Listen to this. He will cause, who will cause? This one we're talking about in verse 11, this other beast that comes up out of the earth that we're going to identify as the false prophet. He is going to, he was going to cause the world to worship the Antichrist. That's what makes him a false prophet. He's not teaching truth. He's teaching lie. He's teaching deception. Uh, he is blatantly open about it. He will cause the world to worship, uh, worship the Antichrist as if he were God. So his power will not just be the power that is political or economic. He will have great religious power because false prophets will convince the world that this Antichrist is God and is their only hope for salvation of the crushing, the crumbling world around them that is going to be seemingly crumbling and falling to pieces around them. And it's going to seemingly be a place on this earth where it will seem to be God is not in control. There's no one in control. Only this Antichrist. He has all the answers, and the false prophet is going to make sure that the world buys into that. They will. He will demand that the world bow down and worship the Antichrist as if he is God. Well, you say, will that work? Will that actually work? Well, look at, look at chapter 13. Real quick, verse 12. This is just, by the way, of introduction. I've just got to give some kind of information about him before I jump into exegeting the scriptures. Verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes, here it is, the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. That's the Antichrist. The second beast, the false prophet, is going to make sure that the earth all earth dwellers worship the Antichrist. That's what that's saying. And so the work of the false prophet is critical to the effort of Satan because the power of religion over man, men's minds is great. I think any of us who knows anything about man and how he operates, especially from a historical or biblical point of view, understand that man does not live without some kind of a belief system. Man has in his very being the, the desire to want to worship, uh, to exercise faith in something, faith in something that would be either supernatural or faith in the mystical, faith in, in psychic, or faith in something that is outside of himself and that is visible. There is then in the heart of man the longing, that desire to touch something, transcendent, something beyond himself, something greater than his troubles and his circumstances, someone that can deliver him from what is going on all around him. And ladies and gentlemen, during the time of the Great Tribulation, you're going to know, these people will know that people are going to be looking for a deliverer. They're going to be looking for hope just anywhere they can find it. And they're going to be desperately looking for some kind of a transcendent power in which they can believe. And yes, the Antichrist is going to be that power. 
The false prophet will convince the world that he indeed is that hope. He is that Savior. He is that Christ. He is their only hope during the difficult days of the tribulation period. The false prophet will come along as the greatest preacher, I think. Oh, he's going to be preaching. He's going to have messages. But we're going to see this as we get just in the, the, the remainder of chapter 13. You've all heard great preachers, I'm sure. If you've listening to my voice today, you've, I know you've been involved with churches or ministries, and you've heard great preachers. You've heard great orators. The world has known many of them. But this one's different. He is so powerful that his preaching sways. Listen to this, the whole world. He's going to win the world? True or false, human nature must have a religion. It doesn't mean that they are, men will seek out the true religion. It's just they will seek out something to worship. Man is incurable worshiper. He needs somebody beyond himself to believe in, even if he can't identify who it is, even if it is somewhat nebulous. And he gives it a somewhat nebulous name. Like some... Like pick it, like in the Old Testament, a stick, worshiping a stick or a stone. You can, you can name it anything, it doesn't matter, but I, I've always thought in, in teaching that imagine worshiping a stick, crying out and praying to that stick. Oh, great stick, I pray that you lead me today, you guide me today, you give me wisdom today. You think, how foolish! But people will do that. Create a, a God out of their own fabrics out of their own pottery or their own stones or their own sticks or wood and then calling it God and then bowing down and worshiping worshiping it or asking it to do something. Man, false prophets that lead the world into a final form of world religion and the worship of the Antichrist is going to be a phenomenal thing for the world. The world's going to believe them. John Phillips, great writer, on his commentary on Revelation says this, the dynamic appeal, and I quote, the dynamic appeal of the false prophet will lie in his skill in combining political expediency with religious passion. His arguments will be subtle, convincing, and appealing. His oratory will be hypnotic. He will be able to move the masses to tears and whip them into a frenzy. He will control the communication media of the world and will skillfully organize mass publicity to promote his ends. He will manage and, and massage his message with guile beyond words. He will mold world thought and shape human opinion. That's what this man's going to be able to do. That's a good description of what this individual most likely and will do according to the book of Revelation. He will be the greatest, most persuasive, most powerful, most moving, most convincing communicator or preacher or teacher the world has ever seen. Much greater than those who make the headlines today. You can believe that Satan would not finish out his last effort on earth with anything less than his greatest effort. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be a masterpiece. And he becomes the final figure in the false trinity. And we're going to see that. Yeah, there will be a false trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Make it up. The second beast is called here the false prophet. Well, why is he called the false prophet? It's interesting to me. I asked that question at first because I thought, well, I've read this chapter 13 
way back when I was doing an original study on this, and I don't see anywhere where he's called a false prophet. Well, it doesn't say it here. But if you look over in Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, I want you to see something. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. We're going to take a look at that. But that's referencing this guy in Revelation 13, calling him a false prophet. And then in Revelation 19.20, look at what that says. Revelation 19.20. You don't have to try to turn to these places. You can kind of make a note of those if you'd like. Revelation 19.20 says this, And the beast was seized, and with him, here it is, the false prophet who performed signs in his presence. That reads just like Revelation 13, 11, by which he deceived all those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. So we can see he's going to have a temporary success. And then Revelation 20, 10, one more place where it says it. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, and here it is, the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Folks, that right there is real. That place is real. This Antichrist is real. The false prophet is real. All of it is going to happen. It's all very real. It's all coming in, into our, our future on, on the earth. It's, in fact, I believe it is very, very, very close. And I think that the world... Uh, hearing this kind of a message today, and I know many people are preaching and teaching second coming and, and prophecy uh, messages. I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's much better communicators out there that can uh, just eloquently preach and, and warn people. But anytime you hear it, it's a warning to the people. It's a warning that these times are real, they're coming upon the earth, and this might be your last hope to trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior. It's an amazing thing to think that there is going to be, when they talk about people dying, we're talking about a lot of death is going to be happening. But guess what, folks? There's also going to be a lot of people saved during this time. Well, I want to get into the Scripture some. I don't want to uh, get into too much on the introduction. I know that I could go forever on the introduction and then next week do the points, but I don't want to do that. But I want you to look at at Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So number one on the outline is what I'm calling his person. His person. What is the beast? Well, you look at this, it says another beast coming up out of the earth. Very simply, he is described as the beast coming up out of the earth. The beast, as we saw in Revelation 13, verses 1 and 2, that is described as the, uh, a beast is a, is a wild animal. Uh, the, the actual word used there is used of a wild animal. But here it says this beast coming up out of the earth has two horns like a lamb. And he spoke as a dragon. But it is an interesting thing here to think. It, this, is, this is not a beast. It's not an animal. But yet he's calling him that. John is calling him that. John the, the revelator, as we've referred to him here. He's the one who's receiving this information from heaven to record and send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. He says he has two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, the horns like a lamb means he's not a lamb, and spoke as a dragon means he's not a dragon. But he has that kind of a soft, 
a softness and an approach to him uh, until he opens his mouth. And then he sounds like Satan himself. See, the dragon references Satan. So now some people have suggested this describes a system. Some people have suggested it describes a government. Uh, some have described have said it describes an ideology. Uh, but none of those really seem to fit the context of all of Revelation. Clearly, I think the first beast that we looked at was a person. And it says here, in, and that's in verse 1 of Revelation 13, I saw a beast used the same word of an animal, coming up out of the sea, and we saw this as an actual physical person. Now, verse 11 says, I saw another beast. Now, that's interesting wording there because the word another is a word that we've seen. In fact, I remember bringing this out in Revelation, I mean, in John chapter 14, when Jesus says, I will send you another comforter. Another there is the same word here for another, meaning another of the same kind. Some have, uh, have, have, have seen this as, as, as not, it couldn't possibly be a government. It has to be like the other of the same kind, like the first beast. That's what it's describing. Another of the same kind as the first beast. And making another of the same kind. If the Antichrist is a person, then this beast, like him, then is also a person. You say, well, why is that important? Well, it's important to note that this is not some kind of a, uh, uh, some kind of an animal here. This is uh, this is actual a physical human being. Furthermore, the false prophecy, the false prophet, is a personal designation, as I said, and it's used three times in the Book of Revelation to describe this person. So, I think it's very important to understand it for who he actually is. Clearly, it's a person. I've been saying very clever, powerful, persuasive, captivating, charming. Uh, genius who is a who is demon inspired demon empowered the combination of those powers uh, are going to uh, be matched with his human talent and ability and it's going to cause him to be very captivating and very convincing he tells us this is an interesting interesting statement that he comes up out of the earth notice what it says in verse 11 this another of the same kind of beast, meaning he's a person who comes up out of the earth. Well, the first beast in Revelation 13, 1, says he came up out of the sea. Well, is there any real point to this? Well, he comes up out of the earth. This, the other one came up out of the sea. And again, this might be a reference to uh, the center of the earth, uh, which I think it actually is. I think he comes from below. That's the point. He comes... Uh, comes up from beneath or underneath or in the middle of, and again, I think it indicates that the false prophet will be controlled and indwelt and empowered and impelled by some formidable demonic spirit, just like the Antichrist will be. They both will be fully powerful as far as being embodied uh, in, in, uh, in possessed with demonic spirits. And yet the earth is not mysterious like the sea is mysterious. So I think it's going to be, uh, the difference will be that the, the, the way of explaining this and saying he's like a lamb is significant because the Antichrist uh, is from the sea, which would be mysterious, dark, and frightening, and 
uh, kind of a place for uh, for him to come. But this man, this false prophet, is I think is telling us he's going to be more subtle, more gentle, more domesticated individual. He's not so overpowering. He's not so frightening. He's not going to be so terrorizing power like the Antichrist will be. You kind of get the picture that the Antichrist is just this high-powered uh, Hitler kind of a, a, a personality. But this one is going to be rather winsome and very persuasive. Uh, he is going to be the epitome of what we see oh, as in, in John chapter 10 would be a, a, a sheep in wolf's, I mean a wolf in sheep's clothing. I almost said that backwards. Uh, some have suggested that the earth means that he'll be a Jew. Well, I don't see any anything related to that at all. I think a Jew is pretty much related to the land, but not the earth. So there's no reason to assume he's going to be a Jew. But the description of him given us is somewhat subtle, gentle, and deceptiveness. Uh, and I, I don't think it's uh, near as scary to look at this individual as it is to look at, say, the description of this first beast, the ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns, blasphemous names, and then describing him like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. He's got the power of the dragon. He's got the mortal wound in one of his heads. I mean, this is a frightening thing to look at. You think, good, no. who is this Antichrist? And then you get all that out of the way, and then, boom, here comes another of the same kind of beast in the sense that he is also going to be a person. But notice in, down in verse 11, the false prophet has two horns like a lamb. Have you ever seen a little lamb as it begins to sprout its horns? Just little bitty bumps on the top of his head. And certainly, uh, I think this is a picturesque of the fact that he is not going to be uh, as fearful as the Antichrist, but he's going to be every bit as powerful. But I don't think it's going to be seen in his personage. I think he's going to be uh, one who's going to be known for his deception and his subtle approach. He doesn't come blasting and shooting and killing and devastating. He comes as a deceiver. This false prophet will come as a false lamb. He comes appearing to be gentle. He comes wanting to uh, to comfort and with a certain kind of a tenderness. And he's lending his aid to the Antichrist. Here is Satan, in a sense, counterfeiting Jesus Christ. This is a masterpiece of religious deception. Folks, this is religious deception at the very highest. We're going to see Satan is going to pull out all the stops to make sure that the, 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 the false prophet is going to, to be welcomed. He's going to be soothing. He's going to be comforting. Man. But yet, when he opens his mouth, he's going to speak like a dragon. That's what verse 11 says. And spoke as a dragon. Well, what does that mean? Whose words come out when he speaks... He sounds like Satan himself. I believe that when he speaks, and you know, uh, I know that several writers have mentioned this in talking about this passage, that when Hitler spoke, <clears throat> it wasn't his own voice. It was as though he had a different voice when he got up and made these big speeches. I think he will completely be controlled by hellish powers or demonic powers, this Antichrist and this false prophet will. You see, when he speaks and opens his mouth, it's going to be a different voice. It will be the voice of the dragon. He will not necessarily speak blasphemous things against God as the Antichrist does. But he will 
speak rather winsomely about the Antichrist. Satan's Antichrist will blaspheme God, but Satan's false prophet will lure people in to actually worshiping the Antichrist. Now, false prophets are not like Antichrist. They don't come blaspheming God. They come deceptively. That's that's a key word here. They come looking like lambs, but when they speak, it's the voice of the dragon. So I think this is a look at his person. Number one on the outline. He will be a human being. He will be an actual person. So in the midst of the tribulation with all of its terror and all of its fears and all of its death and destruction, the false prophet will come alongside as a little lamb offering deceptive comfort, offering a false peace trying to calm down those who might be upset over all that the Antichrist is doing and trying to convince the world that he is their hope. He really is their answer. Hoped, he's going to offer hope to a pained world if they will just worship the Antichrist. Boy, you can just hear the whisper of Satan into the ears of these people, convincing them that what he says is truth. Folks, I don't know of any other time to actually warn you or to warn people that we need to have the truth on our side. We need to have the truth of the Word of God so ingrained in us that if someone even presents remotely something anti-Word of God, it just catches us. We catch it. We realize it. We recognize it. And it will not get past us. Well, that speaks of the person of who this false prophet is. But the second thing I want you to see, and I'm not going to get into this, is his power. I just want to take a quick glance at it. Look at his power in verse 12. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth, there it is, the earth, and those who dwell in it to worship. How's he going to do that? Well, he's been given power. He's been given power to, to draw down fire from heaven, it says. Man, that, you think that's going to be persuasive? Well, let me tell you something. He is perhaps imitating uh, Elijah. Remember, the, the Malachi says Elijah the prophet is coming in the last days, and he'll be able to draw fire down from heaven. Perhaps he's imitating that. Or the two witnesses that have already appeared on the scene. God's two witnesses, they draw fire from heaven. So perhaps he's imitating that, showing that he's greater than that. I don't know. I believe that when he speaks... I think it's going to arrest people's attention, and I think they're going to listen, and I think they're going to bow down to him. Now, this becomes important, because later they're not going to just have to bow. They're going to have to receive the mark of the beast. Wow! This stuff is getting absolutely unbelievable as we dance, I mean, as we walk through this this time of the tribulation period. I tell you what, I don't want to be there. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to feel it. I don't want to think it. However, I am teaching it. Because I'm teaching it as a warning to believers today. Folks, it's coming. We're close. I don't know how close we are, but it would not surprise me that the next few moments we end up in heaven face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. That's how close I think it is. Because you see, none of this, none of this is a sign for the rapture. The rapture is going to happen before all of this. The rapture is the sign for all of this other stuff. But we're going to be gone in the rapture, so that sign won't mean much to us. 
because we're going to be snatched out of here. Well, folks, that's as far as I can go today. I hate to go, I hate to stop, but but for now, you're listening to a teaching of the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Uh, and the, the title of the, the message today, if I, if I keep to this title, would be an evil worship leader. What a terrible thought, an evil worship leader. But I thank you for joining us today, and I look forward to the next broadcast of Hope for the Heart.